the managers <laughs> that try to control gross by managing gross ends up costing themselves gross. I like they try that. to control it saying, Hey, I'll make up my money on my fresh stuff. So they're trying to manage that money. They're saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my price so I can control my gross and try to get it. And they end up costing themselves gross because again, uh, those cars end up bleeding through and just adding to the problem. Don't wait around for the up bus. Get in the driver's seat and take control of your operations. Are you ready to increase profitability, have better processes, and get proactive with your operations? Welcome to the Up Boss Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jason Harris and Jason Rice. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? This is Jason Harris, joined by Jason Rice. That's right, you get two Jasons today. And this is the Up Boss Podcast. I'm so excited we get to do this together. It's like the highlight of my day. I'm like, I could hang with Jason today. <laughs> it is fun. It's fun. Well, and not only is it fun, but I'm like, I'm dude, I'm excited about today's topic. So, uh, hey, guys, for everyone out there watching and listening right now, if you have any aged inventory or, God forbid, you have a car that's about to have a birthday, please make sure you forward this episode to your manager. <laughs> Um, they need to see that uh, this episode because today's episode is all about the cost of holding aging used cars. And, you know, as I was thinking about this topic, man, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun, right? Because there's, yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation because I just, you know, how many times I've personally done this myself, Jason, I have, I, I will be the first one to admit I held on to something I wasn't supposed to, um, you know, because I was just, and I actually remember the car. It was a 2007 Mercedes E63 uh, wagon, the wagon, right? Ooh. That's rare, right? I mean, come on, a 500 horsepower, naturally aspirated wagon. And I'm like, you know what? And I bought this thing so right and had the right mileage. And it was the white on beige interior. And I'm like, I'm going to sell this car, even though this was not a car at all that my dealership typically sold but yeah. i was gonna gross the crap out of this thing and i held on to it and well we'll get into it but <laughs> <laughs> let's get into it you never celebrate a birthday you never did you never no 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 half birthdays are bad much less full birthdays half birthdays <laughs> my kids celebrate half birthdays at school i think there's some used car managers that still celebrate <laughs> half birthdays <laughs> You know, when your birthday falls in the summer, you don't get to have birthday parties at school. So they give you a half birthday. Well, I find That's we it. use the same excuse on some of our cars. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, I, and <laughs> this is, I love finding, we're going to find these great rabbit holes with you. Um, Cause I did the exact same thing. I had this E63 rear, rear wheel drive, 500 horsepower family monster. And I told myself, like I bought it in January. And what did I do? I said, oh, this is a summer car. I'm going to hold on to it. It's <laughs> all in the summer, you know. But, uh, yeah, you're right. You got to celebrate half birthdays sometimes. No, no. Okay. <laughs> so so yeah, our first topic yeah. today is, is just understanding and calculating the true cost. And I've, I know you got tons of thoughts since I've seen you post on this before. I know I mean, you have talked about this before. <laughs> right? You know, the true cost of aging inventory. Um, how do you calculate that? Uh, what are some of your thoughts and opinions? Wow. Um, you know, well, obviously there's 
again, what we call a holding cost. And, and, you know, it's funny how many dealers actually pay attention to that and it's not too many, uh, mm -hmm. but yet it's a, a real expense. Um, obviously it, there's a deeper formula to it, but let's just take your fixed expense, divide it by, uh, you know, how many days of the week and how many cars or days in a month and how many cars you got and, you know, give you a, a cost per day to have a car sitting there. Um, you can equate that to your home budget, right? What's your mortgage, electric bill, gas bill, and, uh, you know, cable or whatever, the, the true necessities, divide that by each day. And that's how much it costs for you to live in that house each day. It's a fixed cost. So there, there's no way around it unless you move out, right? So there's a fixed cost of doing business. So once you divide that per day, not only then how many slots you have and you get a, a, a cost per day and um, of a product sitting there. Now that slot can range anywhere from 50 to or 30 to a hundred bucks a day, mm -hmm. depending on your facility and, and cash flow and everything like that. What, what are you paying for and what you're not? And you also got to consider interest and or depreciation and the, the back of the mind, but not part of the, the formula there sometimes interest. But, um, so, you know, again, if we default in our system, 30 bucks a day, but if the dealer knows their actual cost, we can plug that in there. And I'm just this, because you talk to so many, what would you say the percentage of people actually do know that? They um, probably 25, 30%. So or here's the thing, maybe half of them know what it is, but only 20, 30% even think about it affecting. Because here, I tell you what, you put it in somebody's pay plan and then they'll think about it. Right? Ain't that the truth. <laughs> so if you made a two pounder, $2,000 deal, but I, I backed up, you know, 50 bucks a day at the, 50 days, you let it sit here, you know, it was uh, $2,500 worth of holding costs. You lost 500. Then in it, what that went against your pay structure, you probably calculate it. <laughs> I, I think that would definitely happen uh, really, really quick. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but, but, you know, we've said this, you know, I think a few times and I've seen several posts about this before is that, you know, the, you know, the, the, the new, used car manager needs to be more of a, a landlord, you know, than, than, than sometimes a used car manager and understand the rent factor on, you know, each one of these spots. And you can only have only so many tenants. And how I, good is that tenant? Yeah. And how good is that tenant, right? You know, and I, I find that analogy seems to maybe resonate, you know, a bit more. But what are you seeing, especially right now, given the current economy and how things are changing, you know, like, do you, how important is it still to, you know, measure your holding cost? And are any of those formulas changing right now? Uh, it's probably equally or more important now because of the fact that um, one interest, if dealers are floor planning, paying a mm -hmm. bank to borrow money, I'm sure that interest rate might be, you know, changing on them or more expensive. So that is a big factor and um, consumer shopper counts down inventory levels are creeping up the average age of uh, cars out there in the market is is up and then the cost you know the average cost per car is up you know a lot of dealers you know try to be in that 18 20 grand range but are typically right now in the 25 to 30 grand average investment dollars so uh, if anything it's it's even more important now as the, all those factors are in play um, we're not getting people just walking in the door and buying whatever they can get their hands on at this point in time, being a little bit more strategic in the higher dollar. And right now you're running into higher gas costs. As a matter of fact, yeah, you know, I've seen some headlines that they think, you know, gas is going to get back up to close to hundred bucks a gallon, which is going to be four to six bucks a gallon in our pocketbooks. 
and that's going to start impacting decisions. Shoot, I just had my wife text me the other day. She's like, it costs 70 bucks to fill my car up. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> typically she's something she's not too worried about if it was 40, 50 bucks and now it's 70 bucks. Uh, so, no, it's really true. I said, noticed the same thing on my truck. You know, I'm normally right around 50 bucks and all of a sudden it was 65, almost $70. And I was like, wait a second, that doesn't that <laughs> just happen. Right. Now I can't imagine your truck. Hey, so for everybody out there watching and listening, just in case you know, Jason's got one of those monster trucks uh, that you don't even, it, it's got its own savings account for gas, right? I don't call it a monster truck, but I do go line to line pretty much with those tires when I park. I love the truck. <laughs> All right, let's get, so, okay, true holding costs. Can it be any more important now um, than ever? And, you know, I, I, I think we, in a sense, we have to be proactive in calculating. I noticed, you know, because inventory levels are coming back, um, you know, the, uh, as I say, the it's kind of an offset between what the need is versus what you know availables in the market has started to shift. So I've seen marketing dollars now starting to pick up as well. Would you calculate marketing dollars into your holding costs as well? Um, no, I, well, that because that's you you can and you can do multiples. I guess things of of uh, holding costs because uh, again, marketing dollars are flexible. I can cancel all my marketing dollars tomorrow. I can't cancel my my mortgage payment or my rent on the property or my interest and, in, in, you know, my light bill and stuff like that. I can shut the lights off better, but there is a fixed expense and marketing typically is not that, but I guess you can take your total budget and also slide that, uh, you know, divide that up too and, and, and see the impact of it. So you, you have your, your cost to sell, then you have your holding cost and they're two, they're, they're, they're two right. samples, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, is there anything else that should be included in the holding costs for anybody out there watching, listening that may want to try to calculate this out for themselves? Well, I mean, again, each, each dealer is going to be different. You got the floor. Do we have the floor plan expenses? Mm -hmm. Do we rent our own our buildings? Stuff like that. Um, but obviously, even if you own your bill and you're paying property tax and some of that. So each one's going to be a little bit different. If they want to reach out and get you some formulas, that'll break it down. NCM has a great, if you go, you know, Google NCM, you know, uh, holding costs calculation, though, there's a breakdown that way. We could send you a similar copy of that. But yeah, it's going to fluctuate. But again, there is it, the hardest part is just get them to understand how it impacts them. But because yeah. it's not coming out of their check, it, it they might figure it out, but they go, huh. Okay. And Have that's you about anybody it. try to enroll that, uh, like roll that into their pay structure? Because I'm a big fan of like, if, if, if my, if I want my team's goals to be in line with my, with my goals, then, you know, their pay structures need to be aligned with those goals as well. But I guess if a deuce, one of the managers are getting paid on total and, and, and net, not gross. Right. Mm -hmm. So whatever's left at the end of the month, after we do pay rent and more, uh, you know, if uh, somebody's paid on that, then I guess it would. But the normal used car managers that's managing used car inventory or even lead managers that are managing leads aren't worried about that, you know. So um, I guess the people making the decisions typically on every day, every car probably aren't in those type of pay structures. But, you know, when you are paying attention, you can see some insanely big results. And it's little things over a course of period of time. In fact, you posted something today, so the timing couldn't be. Better. Yeah, I didn't know what right. was we didn't even know we were getting into this and you'd already posted and i was like oh my gosh this time is perfect right you know um but tell us the story you know of this dealership because i think that that really does show you know the difference in you know when you start to pay attention to this and what you can actually achieve at it when when it's become a real number for you yeah so year over year in our system we can go year back and what i was looking at is 
um, and I'm 99% sure on these numbers, but the dealer was carrying 244 units okay. um, a year ago on this date yeah. and was selling, I think it was 54 uh, or 56 units in a two week period. So if yeah. it was 56, that put them on pace to sell, uh, uh, what would that be? 112 mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. 244 in stock. Fast forward to now, he's selling 58, which isn't up much, two units up, but doing it with 144 units instead of 244 units. So there's a hundred less units selling the same amount of cars. So year to year, when you say, hey, you know, last August, we sold 112 cars and we're still on pace to 112 cars. We're really not improving. But when you look at the what it took to sell those, the dollars that it took to sell those, uh, at a hundred less cars and their average investment last year was 27 grand easy yeah. math yeah. 27 grand times a hundred is 2.7 million the current average investments 24 grand uh if you wanted to take it off of the current investment of 24 grand times a hundred is 2.4 million so they're selling the same amount of cars with 2.4 million in the bank uh essentially so you know I've, there's been a time i've asked the dealer where's that money and he's like i don't know i'm like what do you mean you don't know <laughs> It's got to be somewhere if it's not in floor plan savings. It had to come in the bank somewhere. You didn't, you know, where to go. Um, and so, so you mean that new boat I bought, we just yeah. like, condo that's in Mexico. No, sorry. Yeah, anyway, exactly. right, <laughs> well, even at that, and, and not that this did happen, that matter of fact, our gross has gone up. But even if you said, yeah, and we were selling the same amount of cars and our gross went down 300 a copy. Well, yeah. Again, do 300 a copy times 100 plus units. And then add the 2.5 or whatever back into that equation, your gross did not go down. You know, it actually went up with that 2.5 million of savings. Uh, so the other point that I want to, and then a little bit of research, matter of fact, I'll just do it on the calculator here. Um, back a year ago, the average age to sell, because think about this holding costs. When we first started looking at it, we would take um, the 100 cars they have. Okay, each car got a $50, let's say $50 a day holding cost expense, a 10 day old car had $500, so forth. We sum that all up and then average it out by how many cars are on their lot to give them their holding costs of their current inventory. Wasn't a while down, down the road, six, eight, 12 months down the road. I'm like, hold on a second. Holding cost doesn't stop until you sell the car. That's correct. So not only should we look at our current holding costs, let's look at our sold holding cost. So back a year ago, their average age to sell was let's say is 62, but let's round it to the 60 days. And if you take 60 days to sell a car and you times that by 50 bucks a day, that's three thousand dollars. There goes your car on average. Okay, and again, they if you times that by the 244 cars they had in stock, just for equal math, uh, seven hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now let's take that another step, 50 bucks a day times 60 days to sell a car. And again, at that point in time, they're selling 112 cars. That was 336,000. So if you just want to look at their sales alone, 336,000. All right. Now you take it in today's equation. Again, um, they're selling cars now at 36 days. Yeah. Their uh, turn, their turn is fundamentally 36 times right? 50. Yep. Again, times 112 cars, let's say they're selling the same, 201000 So they just saved about $130,000 in holding costs in this month. Yes. Okay. Um, 
so not only are they doing it on two million, two point four to two point seven million less inventory, they just saved another one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in that holding cost expense. And you know, look, let's talk about some of the things that you can you can do with that, right? I mean, when when you're able to free up that kind of capital, you know, and this is maybe the the ownership hat coming back on. Um, there, there's a lot of things I can do, you know, when I'm able to free up that kind of capital and where we can invest that, um, who we can invest it in, um, is it marketing, like you were saying before, I can invest into the marketing, I can invest into people, I can invest into some of my technology stack, you know, I can invest it into, you know, better customer experiences, either, you know, online or at the dealership or even after the sales gas for your plane for my plane. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the condo in Mexico, um, yeah. the condo in Mexico. I yeah, will right. say, you know, I, and that is one thing you saw during the pandemic, right? Like holding costs went from like here to like here's super, super fast, you mm-hmm. know, it's because we just weren't holding that much. And then we were turning way, way, way faster. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that you're like, well, where did that money go? I, I will say a good chunk of my dealer principal friends did purchase something new (laughs) maybe a a new big a-class rv hey they gotta keep the economy going right another dealership another dealership you know so let's go into kind of our our next topics around kind of like strategies around minimizing some of the holding cost right because i think we've done a good job up to this point if you're watching and listening i think we've done a good job of kind of identifying the holding cost and the importance of you now being the landlord you know to your lot and understanding what the real cost of of keeping inventory is and how that can affect your buying capabilities to continue to bring more inventory because that's another thing too we could don't just reinvest into the inventory as well right but let's talk about how we can kind of minimize some of those holding costs and some of the ideas and strategies you have around that well i guess again wrap your mind around what you're really managing um let's go let's imagine you're a mom and pop five and dime store and you got all these products all over the shelves okay and the only way you can um put more products on your shelf is to sell more products sell two buy two more to replace it and move forward and so you could either let's say everything's all an equal price but you could sell one item and make x amount of dollars let's say 10 bucks or you could sell two for five, it's the same 10 bucks. But you also know that now I get to buy two more products and do it again. But not only that, every two items, let's say you make an extra three bucks and, and you know somebody waiting in line and picking up a, a piece of a bubblegum package or something or some candy bar for their kid, right? So for every two transactions, you've added another 30% revenue in, in a candy bar or, you know, what have you for your kids while you're waiting in line. So would you be that mom and pop that sells one item a day or do you want to be that and make 10 bucks or do you want to be that mom and pop store that's selling two items, three items a day, right? Because every other item I'm getting grabbing another item for three bucks and adding some added revenue. So again, the equate that to is obviously every every opportunity, the sooner you get off that car, um, the sooner you get to replace that spot and you do it again, right? If I'm already going to be paying and just recycle that spot, you can't put another car in that spot until that one sells. So if I can do two cars at 1500 instead of one at three, if I can do two cars in 60 days instead of one at 60 days, 
and every car on average makes 12 to two grand in back end, right? Yes. Um, that's another two of those. It's another two uh, trade opportunities, right? It's another two opportunities to get them back in my service lane to do more business with me. So it's the compounding interest and compounding factors of what I call like a lot legacy, right? So how many, okay. how many branches off of that sale can I get? Can I get a trade that I can make the money up on? Can I get some F&I? Can I get them back in service? And so there's just that legacy. And so to minimize holding costs is just mean turn it faster. Um, but here's the, the caveat with that too, is I'm not telling you to drop your prices, make up your gross and volume and all these other aspects of your business. It's do it with do it with gross too. And the best time to make the most money is when it's fresh. So with our dealers, our strategy is just to increase the amount of cars you sell in the first 30 days. And what I found over uh, eight, what 18 years of helping with inventory management, uh, the top stores are be turning 65 to 80% of their sales in the first 30 days. Yes. Okay? Cutting off that holding cost. Again, being able to take a car, move it out of the slot, replace it with another one, move it out of the slot, grab some F&I, grab a trade, move it out of the slot, do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you want to just keep, and that's where it's important to look at, not it is a, a true sold turn. Um, what I mean by that, most inventory management tools are going to look at turn as your, and what that's calculated off of is your average age of your current inventory. Mm -hmm. So some of the biggest ones out there would say, okay, your turn is at 12. Well, all that has no impact on your sale rate. It just has to do with the average age of your current inventory. Mm -hmm. If your average age is 30, you'll be at 12 turns. The bad thing is that can be manipulated overnight. Um, you can drop 10 one-day-old cars into that system, and now your average age goes from 30 to 27. Your turn goes from 10 to 12 or 12 to 15, and it looks like you're doing better when you're not. And so, again, the clock doesn't stop to sell it. The sooner you can drive that average age down, right? The average age of selling down into the 20s and have 60, 70, 80% of your sales in the first 30 days. That's how you're going to maintain or maximize your gross profit. And I say maintain is, you know. While still minimizing your holding expense. Yeah, because it all depends on, you can't say, well, my gross didn't go up because when I sold more fresh cars. It all depends on how you bought them. You know? So if you just go step up and just buy a bunch of cars at a high dollar, then yeah, still struggle with gross. But even at that, if you go now, the cars are back to being a depreciating asset. Yes. Right? Um, and the sooner you get off the depreciating asset, the better. And regardless if you bought it at 80% cost to market or 100% cost to market, the sooner you get to that sale price, the better. I was just at a store today locally, and um, he had a car price at 107%. Mm-hmm. Now, Which for all intents and purposes would throw a red flag. Yeah, if I get it. Correct. But then I went and looked at where he had it priced previously, which was three grand higher to, uh, a month ago. So it, it was like $50,500 is okay. where he had it a month ago. Right now he's at 47000 So 47000 he's at one hundred and seven. Yep. I plugged in his old price of a fifty thousand five hundred because back then it was one hundred and four percent of the market. Fifty thousand five hundred was. And that's how things are changing right now. Yeah. I plugged it in now. It's one hundred and eleven. Mm. So I said the market moved seven percent in less than a month. At this time, his cost to market was ninety eight percent. So I said, really? So then, when you owned it, 
your cost market was 92, not 98. It moved, or actually 91, it would have been 91, 7% swing in the market. So if he's owned it at 98 now, he owned it at 91 then. Yep. So that's what I asked him. I said, hey, let's just say, because he didn't have our system, I can't tell it, but in our system, we can't. Let's say your average car leaves your lot at 98%. Would it have been better to sell it now that you own it at 98 and you sell it at 98? Or would it have been better back then, a month ago, when you owned it at 91 to sell it at 98, right? And so you would have made that 7% then. It's just you got to get to that price sooner. Um, and again, that's, well, and, and it is all that's, that's where I'm missing, right? And I'm like, yeah. exactly. It, it's all about it's all about time, you know. It's it's the one thing we never get more of, right? And you know, once those vehicles hit the lot, the the ticker's ticking, you know. And you know, there are still ways to, like you said, continue to maintain gross, all right, but minimize holding. Uh, I understand there are ways that we can fudge the number, right? But but if we're if we're consistently focusing on strategies that are built around getting vehicles out within that thirty day window. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a stepping stone of a strategy, right? It's like, okay, this, this is our ultimate goal is 30 days. Now what happens after 30 days and what actions are taken? All right. Uh, to continue to move Cause to your point, I would have just been at a hundred percent at the 91. All right. Moved it off the lot and versus now waiting. And yes, it, it's crazy. I mean, this must've been a specific vehicle for it to fluctuate 7% over in a single month there must have been something specific about that vehicle or uh, maybe incentives kicked in it's a newer vehicle stuff like that so now all of a sudden a new version of the vehicle has got a ten thousand dollar you know discount on it or whatever and that that happens that happens in our industry all the time right so i mean i think it's this well here's the problem it, it did in the last happened? Years, it didn't because <laughs> the new cars weren't there to have you know five thousand dollar rebates exactly on them now that and so we didn't have to worry about let's say now uh, 22 or 23 in uh, 2022 mm -hmm. 2021 because rebates weren't on new and there's hardly any new anyways so they weren't depreciating as fast as they are now yeah it was a 2022 matter of fact it was mercedes story because there was a qualification that he has to have a certain amount for a certified program if he doesn't trade for those in by lease returns he's got to go buy them and that's the yes. thing doesn't lease a lot he gets two or three but he need 20 cars so he goes buys in these 16s and he has to own them high at 91 percent. so then he tries to price it up at 104 because you know trying to make some money when he like mm -hmm. to your point should have just priced it at 100 day one and been to 98 and 90 you know 95 pretty quick and got off of why there's still meat on the bone yeah. that's this front end gross that's even again calculating the holding cost because this car was yeah, it was 50, at least 50 days old because we're looking at his 46 to 60 bucket. So I think it was 50 something days old. And again, at 50 bucks a day, there's 2,500 right there um, that got wasted too. So now his 107, you know, and owning it at 98, and that's he's trying to protect that whatever 10% spread. Well, see, that's the other thing too is uh, <clears throat> um, some of the best used car operators uh, I've ever worked with are slow to accept their successes, but quick to accept their failures. Um, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. that's the one key trait I think I found in some of the best operators I've worked with in the past is that they are super quick to accept the fact that I was wrong, uh, but I'm gonna learn from that. And this is how it's gonna change the strategy moving forward, you know, because I think it is too easy for us to sometimes fall in love 
I've fallen in love. Like I said, my 07 E63 wagon, I knew I was going to gross on that thing, but with holding costs six months into it, I, I bought it in the winter. I, I'm going to wait till the summer because it's a summer car. I can't imagine what I lost on it. If I actually sat down and yeah. did right (laughs) well not only that it's just not only that car let's say it sat there for 90 days yep but you have turned two other cars in that same window of time right 30 on that one two more 30s and then those are averaging two front 15 back you know and there's another whatever uh seven grand not including any kind of service or trade-in work trade-in you could have got service work you could have got on the trades and the service customer back in the door. So the compounding, the, again, what I call lot legacy, though, those are those roots and the, the, the family tree of that impact that, you know, didn't happen. Because here's I the other sad thing. That's, that's probably a one-off car mm-hmm. that you're waiting for that right buyer. Yep. And, and the other one-off I mean by that is you have one shot probably make some gross on it and that's the front end because somebody probably drove four hours away to get it didn't want to drag yep. their trade already talked to their bank because they didn't want to drive four hours without having their financing lined up some more light and they never coming back for service so you held out on that one car to get that one-off customer that is a one-off shot anyways because they drove two or three four hours. i've been looking for one of these that are all over the place and bought it um, when you when you finally price it cheap enough for them to drive four hours to come get it. Well, you know, and it's funny you say that because it's a perfect segue into our last topic. You know, um, look, I, I've done it. I made the mistake. I've already talked about it. I have used my gut feelings uh, a few times and I should probably um, <laughs> admit that I've done it. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've, I've used my gut and, and for the longest time, you know, um, up until I would say 2010 and kind of going into more inventory analytic systems, you know, everything was kind of based off my, my gut feelings and the managers I worked for, the managers that worked for me, a lot of that did, even the way I hired them actually was based on their experience and some of their gut feelings, you know, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So, you know, I think our next topic is leveraging inventory aging analytics, right, for more data-driven, you know, informed decisions, you know, it's like we have some amazing data at our fingertips. Uh, what should we be looking at to make better informed decisions, Jason? Um, well, I can only tell you the kind of way we approach it. You know, first and foremost, I'm looking at my lot. How are things moving around? Before I worry about market, competitive set, auction data, I'm going to look at this car within my profile. Okay. What I mean by that, um, we do have a score. Uh, we call it WTF score for work the facts, but you know, you could, you could look at your inventory this way too, is, um, you know, let's say for an example, uh, let's say it's a 2020 large pickup truck, what Ford F-150, 40 grand, you know, with 30,000 miles. Sure. You know, look at your current sale rates on 2018s. Uh, for, so our scoring is going to look at a different metrics. Like, are you heavy or light in that year? So let's say you're heavy in that year. What about large pickup trucks? How are they moving off your lot? Well, you know what? They're getting aged, so we're heavy in trucks. All right, so it's an 18 that we're heavy in. It's a truck we're heavy in. What about the $40,000 cars? How are they moving? Are they slow because the interest rate's being higher? Yeah, matter of fact, those are. So you're heavy in that year. You're heavy in that segment. You're heavy in the same price point. You haven't changed the price in 10 days. You haven't had a lead in seven days. You might have three or four leads you haven't talked to in three days. It's miley, okay, versus in or too low miles. That's the other equation we look at. 
Yes. You know, we like say anything less than 8,000 miles a year is low miles. And the reason why I would rev flag that is maybe I'm too proud too long on a low mile car. Like you said, that that gut instinct, yeah, but it's got half the miles on the market. Well, our customers are willing to pay up for it. You know, maybe that budget would like to have it, but they're not going to stretch the extra 50 bucks a month to buy your miles. So no. So is it miley or under miles? Because sometimes if it's miley, we're not aggressive enough, you know. Um, how is my ROI? Am I making 2% ROI, 5% ROI? After holding cost, how is the ROI? You know, even though it's a two grand markup and after holding costs, I might only be sitting at $1,800 or 1800 of holding costs and $200 profit. So I think you look internally first and get a profile of how this car matches what's happening on your lot mm-hmm. to go, okay, this thing's got. And a matter of fact, another thing we look at is what we call an investment risk score. And we just don't care, compare that 40 grand to your current average investment of 25 grand. Cause that means, Hey, it's 15 grand higher than my current investment. That could be, that's a bad thing. Exactly. But if I actually look at, well, I don't know, large pickup trucks sell at 38 grand and F-150 sell at 35 grand and 2020s sell at, you know, 27 grand and kind of give a more of a investment risk profile to similar vehicles instead of just your average. I think that's just kind of an, another I guess a deeper dive of how that dollar compares to the average on your uh, overall, like a comparable average instead of just your overall average. So again, I, I, w- I would be waiting in things like that into my equation on which once I find a problem on my lot, and again, let, we're talking about holding costs, let's say yep. my inventory is starting to age and it's costing me more money, both in depreciation and holding costs. You got to find the cars causing those problems and that, 46 to 60 or 60 plus bucket, I'm going to be weighing in those type of scenarios. Am I heavy in that year? Am I heavy in the segment, heavy in the price point, heavy in the, in that miles or um, make my, do I have any leads? When's the last time I changed the price? Is it converting online? Do I have leads? No one's contacting. Is it low mile, high miles? Am I too proud, too long or not aggressive enough on those miles? And and then, you know, take that investment risk scenario and say, okay, it's, 20 grand higher, even to comparables that sell off my lot on top of it, then use that information to go look at market and book out and auction data and stuff to make a deeper dive. Um, but again, holding cost is yours. It's not the dealer down the street. It's not the <laughs> Honda store that holds the record. So don't compare your holding cost and risk of that holding cost to just the market. You can't, you have to figure out how it is impacting your lot. Well, and, and it is impacting your lot, you know, and I love the strategy that you just kind of laid out. Um, you know, I've, I've said it many times in many other podcasts. I think one of the things used car dealerships are struggling with right now is an identity crisis. They don't necessarily know what or who or, you know, what they are, right? And using data like that allows me to really identify the data is there. Like if I sift through it and I take the time to actually invest into it, um, it will tell me what my identity should be. You know, um, maybe I should, you know, be the, you know, 2017 to 2019 um, minivan superstore that's, you know, under $30,000. You know, it's like, you know, I can own that identity. I, I find too often that, you know, uh, even though the data is there, we try to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And I must keep a little bit of everything so I can make everyone happy. But this is not a buffet. Um, you know, and that's what happens when you look at market data, you're, you know, your Ford store seeing these Kias leave and you're like, oh, I can dip in that Kia market, which 
you can to some extent, but again, it depends. I mean, if it's higher than your current customer profile, if it's, mm -hmm. if your leads are higher percentage of your leads are on compact SUVs and not intermediate SUVs over 35 grand, and you just went and bought some Tellerods because they're selling right, you know, great, um, in the market. Well, you know, you just, you know, just cost yourself some money. Well, it's an investment risk, right? That's not your profile. Not yeah. that you can't sell a Kia to Ford, you know, Ford customers are in your market. It's just your market's more of a 25 grand buyer and not a 35 grand buyer. So yeah, you just, you got to have that profile, but it, you know, this all goes back into kind of this, this, the show, um, mm -hmm. the up bus, you know, what are you going to get leads on it based on your current profile? Do you have ups? Do you have similar vehicle or similar customers on sold cars that you could transition to this car if you're not getting leads on it? Um, but again, that's your profile. Um, your customer, not just your cars, but where are your customers land, age and segment price or not age, but price and segment, you know, what percentage of your leads are sitting on 35 to 40 grand large pickup trucks? How many cars do you have there? You know, one of the things that we look at is let's say you have 40 trucks in stock that are large pickup trucks, 35 to 40 grand. You have 40 leads sitting in that segment, but two trucks to sell them. So you right. only have two trucks to sell to 40. Buy some more of those because, again, it goes back to holding costs. You've already got an active audience. you got 40 people. Day one, you don't have to wait for photos and descriptions. You're gonna I don't have any marketing, Jason. You've got a database of 10 customers looking for that similar truck that you can call today and switch to them, minimizing that holding cost. And, and you know what? I think some of the most proactive dealers out there are looking at that. I mean, I would be, you know, looking at what's currently at my auction, knowing that I got two of these trucks, I got 40 leads on them. All right. And I got, so I got, I got 38 people that are telling me they're in market for that. If I'm just sitting up calling them and say, look, I'm looking at this auction. Is this something you'd be interested in? Like, I mean, just being proactive, you know, like that and, and, but, but again, I, I can only be proactive as much as the data allows me or shows me I can be proactive, you know, so it, we are relying or your on gut. or your gut, right? Or the gut or get to the gut. Well, don't do that. Look, I know, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation today. Um, and for anybody out there watching and listening that has something that's turning its birthday, uh, hopefully not, no, but is having some aging issues, what would be a final thought or a final, you know, recommendation of uh, as something that they can take action right now to make adjustments. Uh, again, example, this dealer that I just came to visit from, he had over 25% over 60 days old age. Mm -hmm. The big problem was, I think he had over 30% um, in his 30 to 60 bucket. Buckets, the middle bucket. Mm -hmm. That's a bucket. If you have an aging problem, which he did, I'd want less than 20% of my investment dollars sitting there and make sure I'm exceeding my sale rate on those age buckets. So you need to really squeeze off and not allow any more cars to bleed through an age. At that time, he had eight and five. He had eight, 60 to 75 days old and five more. So he had about, what, 13 cars over 60 days old. So yeah. that goal for that dealer is squeeze off that middle bucket. Don't add to the 13. And that might take a month or so to get those sale rates going. Um, and then figure out the game plan while you're doing that, uh, how fast you want to get off those 13. Do you want to do it all in one month, rip the bandaid off or spread Perfect. it out over two months, but realize the longer you spread that out two, three months to get off that, that's how long your gross is going to suffer. So if you take a month just to tighten, stop the bleed through, and then you decide to take three months to pace out 13 cars, you're going to suffer three to four months with maximizing your gross. And that's, 
usually where dealers start tapping out, man, you know, our inventory is clean, but man, we, we took a beating our gross. Let's get back to selling cars and making money. And they go back to old habits because now they yeah. got some breathing room and that's where you don't want to change that. So that's one, but two, this dealer, I think there was 18, 16 units sitting in as 45 to 60. Yes. 16 units. And when I looked at it again, we want to stop the bleed through, which is, that's not a bad thing. The 16 units, again, he had 13 over. The bad thing was over the last two weeks, he sold none out of that bucket, zero. Mm -hmm. So I showed that to him. I said, okay, if you don't increase your sale rate on your 46 to 60, what's going to happen? We're going to add to that 13. Matter of fact, one of them is going to flip tomorrow because it was already 60 days old and it's going to go to 61 plus. So, you know, you've got to be aware of current carry rate to sale rate. I like looking at your last two weeks of sales. So let's just say he had 16 units there. And let's just say he sold four out in the last two weeks out of that bucket. Not bad. There we if go. I, in the right direction. Yeah. If I want to, if I want to uh, turn my inventory each month, if I sold four in two weeks, that would put me on pace to sell eight in four weeks. Two mm -hmm. or four in two weeks means I'm selling eight in four weeks at that pace with 16 in stock. He still would have had eight more bleeding through. My point is you need to know those numbers. And then once you recognize that's a problem, go dig into those cars, figure out what cars are causing those problems. Again, I'm going to look at, well, I want to find the cars. I'm having a year, heavy segment, heavy price point, age bucket I'm not selling enough of, might be my lead, converting online, but I haven't had a lead in seven days and I got three leads I haven't contacted in three days. Those are the cars I'm going to attack first and go, okay, based on my profile, these are my issues. Then I pivot to market data and start moving them and try to figure out what I got to do to get these things moving. And then again, compare your pricing more like how they move off of your lot historically versus just how, again, I'm at a Mercedes store. Do I really care where the Hyundai stores price in their 2022 Mercedes at? I do, <laughs> but I should be able to get a little bit more for it. So it's, it's your clients, it's your database. Um, but I like that a very strong, aggressive, consistently executed 30 to 60 uh, mm -hmm. strategy and it's 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 consistent execution of that strategy it's going to eliminate the 60 plus yeah right? but the other important part about this is mm -hmm. as you're doing this replenish fresh inventory and then don't try to make up your gross on the fresh cars because then as these guys are weeding out of these age cars and losing money well guess what they do they go ask a premium for their fresh stuff well i got to make up my money somewhere i gotta give it a shot because i'm losing money down here well, all that does is compound the problem. Those cars are going to bleed through and age because they're not priced to sell. Again, if, you, if you're selling at 98%, you got your fresh stuff at 903. One of the things I ask a dealer, that's it's, it's an aha moment for them is, do you want it, when's the best time to make the most money in a car? When it's fresh. Okay. Exactly. We all know. Then I ask them the next question. Do you want to increase or decrease the odds of it selling while it's fresh? Well, I want to increase it. Okay, well, price at 105% of market. Are you increasing or decreasing the odds of it selling while it's fresh? Oh, decreasing, obviously. You're decreasing it. Yeah. So you're kind of, it's counterintuitive. We're going to try to make up our gross. I always say the managers try to control. You mean we, say, you mean we say one thing and mean another? What? What? Yeah. No. <laughs> the managers that try to control gross by managing gross ends up costing themselves gross. I like they try that. to control it saying, Hey, I'll make up my money on my fresh stuff. So they're trying to manage that money. They're saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my price so I can control my gross and try to get it. And they end up costing themselves gross because again, uh, those cars end up bleeding through and just adding to the problem.
They get rid of these eight, eight more come in. Just a domino effect. Just creates a domino effect, guys. Oh, job security, right? (laughs) If if you're watching, listening right now, you heard it. Okay, it's consistency in your strategy. Um, Definitely well documented. You know, 30 day strategy, aggressive 30 to 60 day strategy, and by the time we're over 60, really some one on one figuring out deep dive what's going on. But it's consistency in the way we execute those, not uh, hopes and prayers on the first one, so that we can fix the other one. Consistency, consistency, consistency is going to be key here, guys. Hey, thanks for so much, uh, Jason, for taking the time to chat with me today. Um, loving, guys, the Upbus series. Uh, feel free to check this out. All right. Uh, I believe it's theupbus.com. All right. Check out that website. More great content coming. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Up Bus Podcast with your hosts, Jason Harris and Jason Rice. To stay up to date with all our content, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.